Hello, and welcome to the Signify Lighting Talks, our fourth episode this time in our podcast series. And we will talk about the necessity of UVC technology from a medical perspective, why UV air disinfection is essential. Today's podcast presenter will be an authority on the topic, Ed Nardell, who is a professor in the departments of medicine and of global health and social medicine at Harvard Medical School. His research interests involve the control of tuberculosis under resource-limited conditions with a focus on the pathogenesis of drug-resistant tuberculosis, its airborne transmission and transmission control in institutions. Another long-standing research avenue is the application of germicidal irradiation to reduce airborne transmission. Let's hear how COVID is transmitted, the importance of in-room interventions, limitations of ventilation and room air cleaners, advantage of UV air disinfection, proof of efficacy, proof of safety and barriers to implementation. Ventilate for comfort or irradiate for infection control. So with no further ado, here's Professor Ed Nardell. It is a pleasure to address such a large and interested audience, and I uh, am thankful to Signify for the invitation. I'm going to be talking about why uh, ultraviolet is really an essential intervention in, in this pandemic, and has been essential actually for a very long time in dealing with airborne infections. It is not a new technology, and in fact, the pandemic has um, stimulated a lot of Uh, new or revived technologies, few of which have the evidence for efficacy and safety that uh, germicidal UV has. In 1946, text by Lukesh uh, from GE on the applications of germicidal and erythemal uh, infrared energy. Uh, He was quite an authority on it, and if you go back to this textbook, which I have a copy, you'll see that um, the fixtures are are not dramatically different than than they are today, Uh, but there have been advances in in the use and application of uh, germicidal UV, and I'll be talking about some of those, particularly with regard to this pandemic, but also in an actually a much longer standing and even more deadly pandemic that exists today, and that is actually tuberculosis. Under non-pandemic times, the single greatest killer of adults globally. And it is unquestionably airborne, whereas the airborne aspect of um, uh, COVID-19 has been very slow to be realized, but now is accepted. So uh, way back in 1942, actually it was in the late 30s, the publication is 1942, William First Wells, who had been a professor at Harvard, but it did this work when it was at University of Pennsylvania, um, put ultraviolet fixtures in, in schools uh, in two suburban uh, suburbs of Philadelphia, and to weigh the experiment against success, he knew, uh, as uh, medicine did at the time, that older kids were, were less vulnerable to, to uh, measles because some of them had been exposed, and younger children were more vulnerable. So the older kids uh, became the controls, 
and the younger kids were the uh, subjects of the, uh, had the UV in their classrooms. And these are two different schools, Germantown, PA, and Swarthmore, outside of Philadelphia. And you'll see the rate of measles per week uh, in during a, a wave of measles that went through the area before we had measles vaccinations. And you see that the rates in the uh, irradiated primary classes in both schools was dramatically less than in the unirradiated upper classes where you would expect less than in the younger classes. So this is a, even a bigger effect than it appears here. And actually one of the few really well done epidemiologic studies on the efficacy of germicidal UV. It's having tried to do this in homeless shelters, for example, with tuberculosis, I can tell you that doing epidemiologic studies for airborne infection is extremely difficult. So this was a really remarkable feat. Um, <clears throat> I was reminded that I didn't include a experiment of nature where <clears throat> in Livermore, California, in a VA hospital, ultraviolet uh, fixtures were in place on TB wards when along came a um, influenza uh, uh, wave, and there was a 90% reduction in uh, those wards that had UV compared to those that didn't. That wasn't a planned experiment and wasn't controlled, so it's been uh, you know criticized on those barriers. But it's among the the very good observational studies that we have that show that UV works quite well. We have a lot of other evidence as well. But before this pandemic, as I mentioned. <clears throat> Tuberculosis has been a major indication, and we've been very grateful over the years for uh, Signify. It was then Phillips' uh, production of high-quality uh, ultraviolet lamps, which were used by many, many fixture manufacturers to produce highly effective fixtures. Um, for example, with multidrug-resistant TB, which is extremely difficult to treat and, exper uh, uh, and expensive to treat, and so people going into hospitals very often without tuberculosis or with drugs susceptible to tuberculosis who end up coming out of the hospital having acquired a multi-drug resistant TB. And we showed that in Tomsk, Siberia, where the biggest risk factor for getting MDR-TB was being hospitalized. And of course, healthcare workers and others get caught up in transmission of airborne infections simply by working. So it caused Gila Kaplan at the Gates Foundation to say of the current tuberculosis pandemic, which we don't hear about as much as COVID, that it is all about transmission. Now, for nearly 10 years at Harvard School of Public Health, so I've been a professor there for a while, and we've taught a course called Building Design and Engineering uh, approaches to airborne infection control, and we talked about natural ventilation. Uh, two buildings, one in um, Karachi, Pakistan, another one in Batara, Rwanda, where uh, natural ventilation is used to help reduce transmission. And in addition, in, uh, in Rwanda, there are some upper room fixtures on the walls because under, with inclement weather, even in warm places like Rwanda, sometimes the windows are closed. You also see a large um, ceiling fan intended to mix the air in the room, two components that make air disinfection 
highly effective with germicidal UV. Now, another uh, phenomenon is occurring uh, globally that uh, we're all aware of, and that's global warming. And if you go to places like India, and that's just one example, there are many all over the world with global warming, air conditioning sales are skyrocketing. And almost without fail, the predominant air conditioners that are being sold are uh, unvented, uh, rather um, ductless. And you can see the sales of those in, um, in India uh, for up to, 19, uh, to 2015. And of course, in the last six years, it hasn't sold down. If anything, has increased. So here we have a, a ductless air conditioner on the wall. And to make that work efficiently, with no exchange of air between the outside and in-house inside of the room, you need to close the windows. This shows a, a, a home, but it could be an office building or a hospital, etc. So we're finding in India hospitals advertising that you know you don't have to worry about heat exhaustion because they have been uh, well air conditioned. But that also means that these are places without ventilation systems where the windows have been closed, and immediately you see a huge increase in uh, CO2 levels, which correspond to an increased risk of infection. To me, the logical response to that is upper room germicidal UV uh, to compensate for the windows being closed. In an office in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, with five people in it, and we had the window open, CO2 levels here, uh, peaking around 600 or so, then we emptied the room, closed the window, turned on the split system air conditioning. And that's the term I was searching for. And you see a steep rise. In one hour, the CO2 levels doubled, which I would say corresponds to roughly a doubling of the risk of infection. And if we kept the windows closed in that occupied room, uh, it would probably have uh, equilibrated somewhere up here, maybe three times the CO2 levels that occur with a window open. So I think it's a great opportunity for those people who are looking for applications of germicidal UV and a, and a great need that as we uh, air condition, we really need to optimize air disinfection. Um, ventilation, of course, under those climates where outside air is polluted or has to be cooled or has to be heated. The beauty of upper room germicidal UV is that it's very energy efficient. Uh, mercury lamps are very efficient, and we're not bringing in outside air that needs to be cooled. So my mentor Riley used to say, Dr. Riley, ventilate for comfort, uh, irradiate for infection control. Now, there are other methods of doing it. And of course, when you talk about air disinfection, the most common one in many parts of the world is natural ventilation, highly effective when climate is right, if the building is well designed uh, and, and the windows aren't closed. Mechanical ventilation used in developed countries if, and, and can be effective if maintained, but really only for comfort levels. It's very difficult to, with mechanical systems, except in a hospital, to reach the six to 12 air changes, which the US CDC recommends for airborne infection control. The costs, the duct size, the uh, fan delivery, all of that limit the amount of air that you can move. <clears throat> there are room air cleaners here where air goes in uh, one aspect of a box and comes out inside are often filters, sometimes UV lamps, or even plasma fields. 
And these are fine. Uh, they do definitely disinfect air. Um, no question about that. But what's called the clean air delivery rate is the limitation because uh, that is the amount of air that is actually cleaned and comes out. And if you look at that with relationship to the room volume, you calculate the number of equivalent air changes. And very often these air cleaners with acceptable noise and drafts are generating one or two air changes, which is okay, it's better than nothing, but it's not anywhere near where we can get with upper room uh, fixtures as a contemporary louvered fixture. The louvers are necessary in, with relatively low ceilings to keep the upper room you keep the UV in the upper room for safety reasons, which I'll get into in a minute. Uh, but <clears throat> they uh, uh, do uh, significantly reduce the output of the fixtures, and in higher ceilings, we can use less louvered fixtures. So <clears throat> one limitation of all disinfection strategies is what's called first-order kinetics, or, or, or target theory, where the effect is always uh, dependent on how much is exposure. In other words, one air change removes 63% of contaminants under well-mixed conditions. The second air change removes 63% of what's left, and the third air change removes 63% of what's left after that, which means you're, you're, always, you're going down in concentration, but at a slower and slower rate and ultimately can never get to zero. So this tells us that, you know, if you have really bad ventilated conditions, very few air changes, you get a tremendous boost out of increasing ventilation or equivalent ventilation, an air cleaner or uh, turning up the ventilation. But if you really wanna to get to high levels of ventilation, which you need for airborne infection control, especially when the uh, particles are being continually generated, you need high levels of ventilation, and that's very difficult to achieve by moving air, and you'll see it's easier to achieve with germicidal UV. We like to talk about UV in terms of equivalent air changes. Well, we know we're not moving air, we're not providing oxygen or removing CO2, but when UV has removed or inactivated 63% of the contaminant, the organisms, pathogens in a room, we say that's one equivalent air change. If it, we get 84% removal, that's equivalent to two equivalent air changes. Under static conditions, if uh, particles are being generated at the same time, that may equate to many more air changes than two. How UV works, we generate a field of UV above people's heads because again, you can't be exposed directly to 254 nanometer UV, you can be exposed directly to some of the lower wavelengths that are being now uh, developed for air disinfection, like 222 uh, krypton chloride uh, sourced lamps. Um, but for upper room germicidal 254, we need to keep it above people's heads. We depend on convection in occupied rooms, body heat, and also with slow-moving fans where those are acceptable, and even mechanical ventilation all serve to mix the air. Mixing the air is not difficult in, in rooms, and 
Compared to an air cleaner, the reason why upper room UV, I will argue, is so much more effective is that we're disinfecting a huge proportion of the room at once, often 20% or more of the room at once. And then air mixing, very slow, imperceptible, no noise, no drafts, is highly effective in getting that air uh, from the upper room to the lower room, and et cetera, producing air changes that are easily recorded as 10, 15, 20, uh, 25 uh, air changes per hour equivalent. So, in a, giving a talk like this in South Africa in 2016, there was a, a person selling a room air cleaner that was manufactured locally. And as we always do, we ask, well, what's the clean air delivery rate? And it turned out to be 28.3 liters per second, which for this relatively small room, four meters by four meters by three meters high, would be the equivalent of 2.1 air changes per hour, assuming no recapture and good air mixing. Whereas we take a, a simple fixture of UV and we could, um, if we had an average of 30 watts in the upper room and good air mixing, we would predict uh, 20 air changes in that room. Tenfold difference in terms of efficacy. Now, <clears throat> on SARS virus, um, which is an RNA virus, as all microorganisms are either RNA or DNA, uh, what you see is a very high susceptibility to UV and uh, two, 254 in particular, but there's a broad band of 250 to 265, 270. So incorporating the new LED ranges are also quite germicidal for uh, viruses, even more so than bacteria, and most bacteria more so than TB, which is intermediate in susceptibility, and then the fungi are the least susceptible, but still quite useful, as you know, in probably in disinfecting drip pans and reducing odor from mold in air conditioners, for example. Now, <clears throat> where is most COVID transmission occurring? I think we're all well aware that most transmission occurs in the room, not outside. So in the U.S. now, uh, uh, most places are allowing people to be outside without masks. Uh, and as vaccines are introduced, and also uh, soon in buildings. But most transmission that has been recorded has been outside. It's really almost impossible to find evidence of transmission outside because of dilution and perhaps because of the vulnerability of the COVID virus, which is a fairly fragile and environmentally uh, virus. So this is why air disinfection in the room. Now we've heard a lot about ventilation and perhaps even filtration uh, as a way to combat uh, COVID ventilation and ventilation systems and HVAC systems. Well, if, if there's transmission going on here in a room, it's very small comfort to know if I'm in that room with that person that the air is going to be disinfected after it leaves. And I would say that there really is yet to be any convincing evidence that I've seen of transmission from room to room through the ventilation system with COVID-19. There are two examples uh, from the original SARS and from this COVID of transmissions through faulty toilet stacks in, in Asia, uh, but that is not quite the same as going through the ventilation system. And whether it's dilution in the HVAC system, such that the dose that reaches another room is too low to infect, or whether the virus is damaged going through, 
is not yet clear, but there's very little evidence of it transmission. Through. So putting ventilation filters in, although good for many things, pollen uh, and other, other infection agents uh, like TB and measles, it may not be all that helpful, in my opinion, uh, for COVID-19. So that was very interesting. And for the whole presentation, please visit our website. The Signify Lighting Academy has a vast video library of great lectures from the world of lighting like this one. You can sign up for free, view them all and find out about upcoming lectures at https slash slash you can you can sign up for free. You, you can sign up for free, view them all and find out about upcoming lectures at our Signify Lighting Academy website. Signify Lighting Talks is a podcast series of lectures from the greatest thinkers and speakers from the world of lighting and is edited by the Signify Lighting Academy. My name is Jaap Schuring and on behalf of Signify, we wish you a brighter life in a better world.